good morning. Good morning to you. George, can I just say, that is the best welcome I've ever received. That is superb. Feel free, guys. Look and learn, all right? That's how to welcome me up here. Well, I'm delighted to be part of the youth of this church. It's a privilege to come and speak to you. Um, I, I don't know, actually, if having the young people in this morning is making me feel more youthful or more old. I'm sort of torn between the two. But either way, um, it's great to have you guys serving us in the way that you are doing this morning. It's such a privilege, and we're just so proud of you all. So, so thank you so much. Um, well, it's actually probably quite appropriate that we've got the young people in serving us here this morning, because I'd like to talk this morning about the whole subject of work and service of God. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Why don't I just very quickly pray for us, and uh, then we're going to dive right in. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much for the way you've been on us this morning. Father, we pray would you come and speak to every heart here today. God, would you come and have your way with us? Would we continue to encounter you? And Father, I pray would you come and give us heaven's perspective on work and service, Lord God. Would you come and do that? Would you give, give us your eyes to see things as they truly are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I wonder if you could think for a moment about the, possibly the worst job that you've ever had. Maybe a part-time role or a part-time job. Uh, perhaps it was volunteering in some way or other. The worst job that you've ever had. Uh, I've had a number of bad ones. My first ever job was uh, a Saturday afternoon job where I worked for a greengrocers and a general store. And they had a side alleyway where they would discard all the rotten fruit and veg during the course of the week. And then I would come in on a Saturday and help clear it out. Uh, By the time I'd arrived there, the the rats had used it as like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And so everything was just sort of melded in this mush of rotting vegetables covered in a thin layer of bubonic plague. So that was a bad job. But probably my worst ever moment um, in the world of work was when I had um, a, a job at university... Uh, During the the holidays, during the summer holidays, I would uh, work as a security guard at the Wimbledon fortnight, which on the one hand can sound really glamorous and really good, uh, but there was this one day where I was was assigned to the left luggage area. And this was in the days before 9-11 and high security and all the rest of it. And I was assigned to the left luggage area, no training or anything like that, but just given the task of making sure that everything was all right and there weren't any dodgy packages. Anyway, one day uh, I was on the left luggage area and a guy dashes in with a big sports bag and dumps it down on the table, grabs a ticket and then dashes off in the other direction. And there was something sort of dodgy about him, looked a bit suspicious. So I said to the team, can I just have a look at this one bag? And uh, I picked it up to move it to a different place where I could look at it. And as I picked it up, it was really quite heavy. And I put it down on another table and it had two zippers that were padlocked together with a small padlock. But I was able to prise the zippers apart just a little bit. And as I looked inside, there was a small red flashing light. And every, in, the, in the flashes of the light, I was able to make up some words written on a box of some kind. And the two words I could pick out were grenade launcher. Those are the two words. <laughs> This is absolutely true. Not like my other stories. This is a true one. So what I did is I thought, I, thought I, was, I wasn't highly trained, as I said, but instinctively I knew this was a bad thing. So I said to the rest of the team there, don't, whatever you do, don't touch this bag. I'm going to go and get a police officer to, to come and have a look at this. 
So I dash off and I grab the nearest police officer. And I have to say that he was somewhat reluctant. I think he was on a break of some kind or something like that. He was pretty casual about the whole thing. And he wanders over and says, all right, I'll have a look at this bag then. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I, I have the greatest respect uh, for our boys in blue. Um, but this particular police officer, I, I believe that he was sick the day they did bomb disposal. Because what he did is, the, the first thing he did is he picked up the bag and then he shook it like this. Which, in fairness to the guy, is one way to find out whether or not it's a bomb. You know, you can't dispute that. And what was interesting was not only his reaction, uh, but my reaction. Because I, I guess, for many of us, faced in a moment of crisis like that, we sort of go into this, this instinct. You know, like a sixth sense takes over and some of us would probably dive on the bomb to try and absorb some of the impact on others heroically. Others might shout, take cover to everybody else around. Uh, me, as I'm stood next to this police officer, what did I do? I put my fingers in my ears like this. <laughs> because if you are stood next to 15 pounds of Semtex, then you know, putting your fingers in your ears might just make all the difference. <laughs> so, then I, 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 I shouted at this guy. If I'm honest, I think I swore at a police officer in that moment, but I think you can forgive me for that. Um, and uh, I said to the guy, what are you doing? Put the bag down. So somewhat gingerly, he then puts the bag on the floor. And then with no ceremony whatsoever, he grabs hold of the two zippers and rips this bag apart. And we look inside. What do we discover? It's a sound effects box. You used to be able to buy them, and you used to have to put them on the dashboard of your car. And if you were irate at the driver in front of you, you could press a little button on this sound effects box, and it would make the sound like a machine gun or, for instance, a grenade launcher. So this is what we had uncovered. So I have to say, that is probably my worst day at work ever. Um, and if you can top that, come and chat to me at the end of the meeting. But, but the interesting thing is, Although that was a bad day at the office, my challenges and difficulties in the whole area of work and service haven't just been confined to employment. Because if I'm brutally honest, sometimes the most difficult situations have come in the context of serving in church. And my hunch is I'm probably not alone in that. I wonder how many of us here this morning have ever had the thought that Church really would be okay if it weren't for all the people. Have you ever had that thought? I've often, as a pastor, I've often had that thought. Church really would be all right. It'd be nice and straightforward if it weren't for all the jolly people. So for some of us, um, our best efforts haven't always been greeted with gratitude by others. Uh, for some of us, we've experienced the communication breakdowns. Maybe you weren't informed of something, or you never got sent an email, or nobody told you about something until it was announced from the front. For others of us, we felt, feel let down by others in the team. Maybe you're on a serving team of some kind and you turn up and then others don't and you feel let down by that. For me, as a, as a pastor, it's rare that people will wander up to me and say, PJ, I just wanted to let you know that my marriage is great, I've got my finances organised and I'm really enjoying God. That doesn't happen too often. People generally come with their problems. And in moments like that, it's easy to lose sight of why we serve. It's easy over time as you get these different knockbacks to lose a bit of perspective on why we serve one another. So this morning, I just very simply want to give us three reasons why we serve. Three reasons why we serve one another in this church family. So the first reason why we serve one another is simply this, that we follow the servant king. Mark 10 says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Steve covered this so well a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there's no getting away from it. Jesus modelled service for us. The king of the universe took the lowest place and washed his disciples' feet. Not just anybody's feet, but men's feet. That's what he did. He practically sat down, knelt on the floor and washed his disciples' feet. Not ladies' feet that smell of roses and lavender, but men's feet. Take a look at what I mean. Feet that look a bit like this. Yeah? Or or feet that look a bit like this. Yeah, I know. It's early in the morning, I know, but that's barely human, is it, really? Jesus washed feet that look like this. There were 12 disciples, and just by the law of averages, you just know that somebody's going to have a fungal infection, you know, just just by the law of averages. Somebody there is going to have Frodo feet. You just know it. I'm going to take this picture down when when all of you signed up for a serving team, all right? It's just like a a form of a threat there. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he kneel down and wash their feet? He says this in John 13, verse 15. He says, I've given you an example. To be a follower of Jesus means to be a servant. There's no getting away from it. There's no way around it. It's simple and as unavoidable as that. That's the first reason why we serve, because Jesus served us. And if you haven't got hold of that yet, I really encourage you, listen to Steve's message from the other week. But the second reason why we serve is because it's an expression of what it means to be a family. I've been showing this map wherever I go. and I promise this will be the last time I show it for a while, or at least until I next preach. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, this is, is a map that uh, shows uh, Europe and part of the Middle East and North Africa. And it shows a, a spectrum of worldviews. On one end, you have collectivism, and on the other, you have individualism. So collectivism is this uh, view that sees the world through the lens of community. It's characterised by beliefs that we belong to one another. We've got a commitment to one another. It's a sense of extended family, uh, the sense of local connections and emotional links to those around us. Collectivists think us. They think we. That's the way they would think. By contrast, individualism values the individual. The individualists think uh, it's about my choices, it's about my future, and what I'm entitled to. Have you noticed on the map where the most individualistic place is in all of Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa? It's the southeast of England. In other words, it's right here. Our society places a really high value on what's personal and exclusive and what I am entitled to. So if something's personal, therefore it's better than if it's corporate. So if I have a personal trainer, that's better than me going to join a gym class. Um, if, if I travel first class on a plane, not only do I get a bed, but I get a little wall that divides me from the person next to me. Uh, if I go to the beach with my family, I, I take a windbreak, I take a portable wall with me so that I can be separate from everybody else. Only British people will do that. Our society values the ability to make personal choices and to live for self-fulfillment. In other words, it's a selfish world that we live in and an increasingly selfish world. My boss in the careers company I used to work for had a plaque on his desk which read this. I'd like to help you out. Which way did you come in? 
which just said something about his perspective on things. He wasn't really interested in working or forming a team. It was about his career, where he was headed, and how you might serve his purposes. It's a black, black situation, as the map demonstrates. But the good news is that together, together we can model something very different to the world around us. And as dark as it might be out there in terms of selfishness, we can shine all the more brightly as the people of God, as we work together. We're called to tread a different path as the church. We're called to live lives that are interconnected and interdependent. We see this right the way through the New Testament. So Paul refers to, ch- to churches in, in corporate terms. So he'll use metaphors or word pictures to explain what churches are like. And he'll, so he'll say to the churches, like, you're like an army. Or, or he'll say to the church, you're like a body, like he does in 1 Corinthians 13, that you're all interconnected and the different members of the body depend on one another. Or he says to the church that you're like a building with stones that laid one on top of the other. He says these corporate images, but do you know the most common corporate metaphor for the church in the New Testament? It's family. Time and time again, the apostles refer to us as family. He refers to us as brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, that we're to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. He refers to the church as the household or the family of God. There are far too many verses for us to look at. I've just got like a blunderbuss approach of verses on the screen here. We're not going to look at them. There isn't time. But even just the word brothers appears 130 times in the New Testament. Paul is saying you're a family together. And of course, one of the things that characterizes a family is its willingness to serve one another. Uh, When the family gathers together, say for instance, over an evening meal, typically uh, somebody will cook the meal, uh, somebody will dish up the meal, be it pasta bake or quiche, whichever the Christians are eating that night, (laughs) somebody will dish it up, uh, somebody else will lay the table, we'll all eat together, and then everybody will join in together to clear the stuff away. That's the way family works. You know, at a family mealtime, the only ones who don't pitch in is the new arrivals. Uh, As our family grew and we kept having babies and we added children, there would inevitably be at the end of the table uh, a new arrival and uh, they didn't have to do anything because they couldn't do anything and everybody else would serve them. Their job was just to sit there and look cute. Same with us here as a church family. If you're a new arrival, if you're our guest, if you're visiting, we're just so delighted to have you. We hope you feel honoured in this place. You don't have to do anything. Let us serve you. Your job is just to sit there and look cute, and you're doing a good job of it. Okay. But for the rest of us, we serve one another. That's the way families work. When we gather together, we serve. It's just what we do. Sure, the roles may change a bit, Sometimes we'll cook and other times you'll wash up and we sort of flex with that a bit. But part of belonging is playing your part. Part of belonging is playing your part. Here's the thing. In doing so, in participating, our sense of belonging increases. Serving increases your sense of belonging because you have something invested in this thing. The best way to feel connected to this church family is to contribute something. Maybe to be the first welcoming face in the car park or to play in the band or to invite someone back to lunch or to, or to stand in King's Kids as the children wrap you in toilet roll or whatever it is that you can do. 
If you want to feel connected, then you've got to be involved. Think of it this way. Uh, I've got some friends who are both Villa supporters. And uh, they... That's, that's not meant to be a joke, but um, clearly it is. They're both Villa supporters. And uh, what they've done is they've booked in for a tour of Villa Park. Um, they wanted to do it before the team gets relegated. Um, at, so they can say they did it whilst they're in the Premiership. And uh, they, one of the highlights, I guess, for them on that tour of Villa Park will be the moment that they stand on the pitch. Uh, that hallowed turf that has seen many a home defeat. That, that hallowed turf, that's where, they, that's where they want to stand. And I guess for them that will be a real highlight when they actually get to stand uh, on the grass. So I guess many times they've sat in the stands and watched the game, but then in a few weeks' time they're going to get to actually stand on the pitch. Well, here's the thing. God has arranged things so that you don't just get to stand on the pitch you get to play. You get to play. You may remember me saying how a couple of summers ago, um, my son's uh, football team uh, managed to make it through to the cup final of the North Bedfordshire Under-9s League Cup. It was, it was a big, big event. And uh, Oakley Rangers, my son's team, were um, up against arch-rivals Bromham United. I, I, know, I know, it was a clash of the titans, I can tell you. Um, and uh, they played this odd formation with Nathan um, as this lone defender right at the back. So there's a lot of pressure on him and, and therefore a lot of high blood pressure on his father. And uh, we watched this match and fortunately uh, his team were able to clinch a brilliant victory and won 3-1. At the end, the crowd went wild. Both of us, you know, we were really excited. It, 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 was, it was great. But my question, I guess, to you is... Who do you think got the most satisfaction out of that match? Was it the parents on the sidelines or the boys on the pitch? I definitely think it was the boys on the pitch. They got to play. People, we get to play. We get to play a part. We get to be involved. We get to be involved in God's rescue plan for mankind. It doesn't really get any better than that. Now, don't get me wrong. If you never serve on any team here on a Sunday... If you never lift so much as a finger, you are so welcome here. Please do keep coming. We want you to be here. We want to serve you. But let me be honest. If all you do is turn up and sit on a chair and eat a flapjack at the end of the meeting, you'll be missing something. If you stay a consumer, a consumer of songs and preaches and coffee and consumer of little mini cakes that are available at the end, <laughs> then you'll start to see church as something to be received rather than something to be a part of. Sooner or later, you're going to start grading the quality of the services that are provided to you. You'll start thinking to yourself, well, the worship isn't doing it for me in the way that it used to. Or maybe oh, I struggled to connect with today's preach. Or, or maybe... The kids had eaten all the flapjack by the time I got to the back. <laughs> and you will grade the different quality. Now, don't get me wrong. We want to do things as well as possible. We want to worship God wholeheartedly. We want to preach as well as we can. And, and yeah, I'm, if I'm honest, sometimes the children do beat us to the cakes. But the point is, you weren't made to sit there and critique religious goods and services. That's not what Jesus died for. He didn't die that you would just sit there and grow fat on other people's service of you. You were made to belong to a family. 
And that means you have a role to play, a part to play. You weren't meant to sit in the stands. You were born for more than that. You get to play whatever shape or form that takes. You know, the church will outlive every company on the planet. It will outlive every nation state, every philosophy, every economic model. It will outlive empires and kings and governments. Why? Because the church is the eternal bride of Christ. And you get to do something that counts for eternity. I'm asking, will you join in? I'm asking, will you play your part? Not because I'm just trying to fill a rotor, but because I want you to find fulfillment for your life. I want you to do something that is of significance and meaning, and the church is one means of achieving that. Will you play your part because you belong to a family? So that's the second reason why we serve. We serve because we're a family together. And the third and final reason why we serve is because God promises to reward those who serve him. Colossians 3, 23, famous verses says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, it's great that we're seeking to have a culture of honour in this church. It's great that we're wanting to recognise the gifts that God has placed in people and honour the gift that they are to us. But the truth of the matter is that often you're going to serve and no one will even notice. I don't know how many times Mike Ustazen has unblocked toilets in this building, but I know it's a lot. I don't know how many weeds Nicola and the Hortons and the Wilcoxes have pulled up in these gardens over the years, but I know it's a lot. I don't know how many hours Sarah Fellows has given to the guys at the Friday night meeting, or cars that Graham has parked, or time that Ian Sherwood has poured into the King's kids, but I know it's a lot. I don't know how often they get appreciated, but I'm guessing it's not a lot. According to Colossians 3, they may not ever get recognised, but they will be rewarded. You can live for recognition or you can live for reward. Jesus said, if you give even one cup of water to one of my disciples in my name, you'll be rewarded. Imagine how much you're going to get for serving 500 cups of really nice coffee to people. That's going to be a big reward right there. You see, this passage, Colossians 3, I wish we had more time for it, but it invites you and I into a secret walk with God to do acts of service that no one will notice, but God will see. Did you know that the Bible actively encourages you to have a secret life, to lead a hidden secret life? Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I want you to do. Matthew chapter 6, he gives them three things. He says, guys, I want you to do this in secret. I would tell you what they are, but it's a secret. Um, So you have to go and read it for yourself. But Jesus is saying, live this hidden life with me. God wants us to do things that nobody else will see, but that he will reward. You know, it was some time ago now, but one of the children um, one Sunday morning was uh, sick on the carpet um, in King's Kids. And uh, I heard about it at the end, and uh, I managed to find a bucket and a sponge and managed to go and uh, sort it out upstairs. Why do you think I did that? 
Well, it's certainly not because I believe I have the spiritual gift of clearing up sick. Nor is it because it uh, fits on some sort of personality profile for me, you know, test your spiritual gifts, you know, clearing up sick. No, it doesn't appear on there. Nor is it because it's in my goals and aims for the year. You know, I'd like to run some pastoral training and I'd like to read thoroughly through the book of Hebrews and I'd like to become better at clearing up sick. No. Why did I do it? I did it because I want to have a hidden walk with God that no one else knows about. Now, sadly, I've lost that reward because I've told you about it. But... <laughs> You know, that there are others in the bank. Now, <laughs> this, this is the way I view it. Um, I have some sort of pension plan, and I don't know if you're monitoring what's happening with pensions, but basically our pensions aren't worth that much these days. Uh, personally, I'm hoping that with prudent, careful management, uh, by the time I retire, I will have accumulated enough money to be able to afford a Chinese takeaway. That's really where I'm headed. If we can have a nice meal at the end, I'll be pleased with that. Uh, my pension isn't worth so much, and I'm guessing neither is yours. But you see, all the while, I've been paying into a different investment plan. Because I have a hidden walk with God where I've been making deposit after deposit after deposit. Choices to give my time Choices to give money beyond my tithe. Choices to serve others and not promote myself. I have a secret investment plan that the inland revenue cannot touch. And the same plan is available to you. And I would say to everyone who's ever felt overlooked or marginalized or taken for granted, this verse can give you strength and energy once again. Isaiah 49.4 But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. To those who have known the pain of serving, maybe in this church or another setting, and being taken for granted and marginalized and not informed and mistreated and mistrusted, the Lord says, don't worry. It wasn't in vain, because your reward is with your God. Your unseen sacrifices are merely accumulating interest in heaven. In a sense, if you serve the church family, you cannot lose. I say to you, don't give your service for recognition. It will come and it will go. Give your service for reward. Mature believers develop a hidden sacrificial life with God. They've got an investment plan that will never dry up. So there you have it for this morning. Three reasons why we serve one another in this place. We serve because we follow the foot-washing king. We serve because we belong to a family and it's an expression of that. And we serve because God promises to reward every secret, hidden act of kindness and service to others. I'm saying to you this morning, will you play your part? To those of us who are already playing our part, can I just say to you, keep going. You know, God so loves what you are doing, the secret hidden things, God will see that and reward it. But to those of us who sit on the fringes and wondering what's my place, do I fit here, do I belong? I would say to you, will you join us? Will you play your part? Why don't I pray for us? And then we're gonna pray some more and do some ministries. Maybe just bow your heads where you're sat would be great. As I was preparing, I specifically felt that God wanted to 
um, reach one group of people. So if, just whilst everybody's eyes closed, I just invite Holy Spirit, come and rest across this room. I, I felt very much that there were some people here who you, feel, you felt burned and bruised through your service of God. You've been misunderstood. You've been taken for granted. You've not been valued in any shape or form. And the Lord just wanted me to read that verse for you again from Isaiah 49 and for it to go deep into your soul as I read it. But I've said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to you is in the Lord's hand and your reward is with your God. And right now as you sit there, you're to feel the well done of the Lord Jesus. Just whilst everybody's eyes closed, if you know that's you, if you feel like, I just feel bruised and taken for granted from previous service, either in this church or another church, you just be brave and just raise your hand just so you can, a way of acknowledging God, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. So Father, right now, come and bring healing. Come and bring restoration that they might be able to pick up the baton once again and to run for all they're worth. Holy Spirit, come and rest, we pray. And for the rest of us, I'd just love us to keep our hearts open and I'm going to let you know where you can serve in this church family, where you can play your part to the full. And uh, these are just, it's very practical, but these are the areas where we, we, we need people right now. We need 12 people to serve in King's Kids just to be legally uh, covered. We need 10 willing volunteers in welcome to greet people as they come and make this their church family. We need 10 people to help with hospitality and make lovely cups of coffee and put out chairs. We need four people as part of Belong to help people get plugged into groups and into the church family. And we need four adults to help us with our Riot Youth Age Group. So I just ask you, as you, as you sit there in the chair and as you engage with the Lord, ask yourself this question, do I want to just be a consumer? Is that what I want? Or do I want to play my part? And I just encourage you just to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you. As I said, we're happy to keep serving. But I think that God has got more for you than just to sit and receive. And if that's you, if you know that God's stirring you, we've got cards on the chairs. And um, I just encourage you to take a look at these, put your name on it and tick a box. And we're going to pass around the basket in a moment. But let me just close as, as I pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that happens in this church family. Thank you for all the wonderful people that serve so diligently. Father, I pray that you would knit us together as we serve one another. I pray, Father, in an increasingly individualistic world, would our willingness to give ourselves to one another shine like a city on a hill. Father, would our sense of corporate identity be stronger than our sense of individual rights? Lord God, would we follow the servant king and lay our lives down? for those around us, for our brothers and our sisters and a town and nation that desperately needs you. Father, we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.